Good morning. We have the opportunity to let Grace call our name as we read scripture together from our reading today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in the Pew Bibles, or if it is going to touch your heart more, then close your eyes and listen. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. First Christian message that had ever been preached. And as the people heard those words, this Jesus that you crucified has become Lord and Christ. They were touched to the heart, and at that moment in time, grace was calling their name. And as they felt that call and the truth of it, the next thing that they came to mind and the question that was asked is, what should we do? What should we do now? And Peter's answer was this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, as grace called their name. For every one of us here at some point in time, grace is constantly calling our name, and some of us have answered that, and some of us have yet to answer that. And within our lives, we come from many, many different traditions, and so this morning, we're talking about all wet, baptism, and God's people. What is the deal with all this baptism? I always laugh, and we're part of a covenant church, and say, we are a church, honestly, that's going to drive Baptists and Presbyterians nuts. Um, And part of that is that idea of saying we're coming from many different traditions. Just a show of hands. How many of you in the congregation were baptized as babies? Raise your hand. All right, there it is. How many of you were baptized as believers? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you were dedicated or dedicated your children as babies? You dedicated them. Raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you baptized your children? Raise your hand. Okay, there it is. We're all living in the same place together and we're all right. Do you know how unique this is? Do you know how wonderful this is? And one of the things for us at Trinity Covenant is we're saying, look, the things that aren't going to divide us in heaven are not going to divide us here. We got better things to do. But for us, kind of an important thing to make sure that we're understanding these traditions and where they come from, this whole idea of baptism. By the way, they come in two classic pairs. Normally, infant dedication comes with believer's baptism. And normally, infant baptism follows later with confirmation of that infant baptism. Acts chapter 2.38 gives us those first instructions. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and all the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We believe it, we buy it, we're ready to embrace it. What should we do? First step. And Peter's reply was this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Any exceptions there? No. No exceptions. Every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Two actions are asked for from brand new believers. Two actions. Here they are. The first is to repent, and the second is to be baptized. Repent, that's an interesting word. And it simply means this. You're walking, walking, walking away from me, God says, and I want you to what? Turn around. That's all that repent means. You're walking, you're walking, you're walking, you're going here, and I want you to what? Turn around and walk right back to me. That's what I want you to do. You know, if I was a chariot racer in the first century, you know, and I was out there with my Roman chariot going down a Roman street and I missed my turn off, I would yell at the horses, repent, which means what? Turn around. You go to the traffic sign and there's a traffic sign up there that says, no U-turns. You can, you can look at that traffic sign and say, oh, no repenting. Well, I'll have none of that. No, I'm just kidding. You do that, you'll get a ticket. But the same thing. And then the second item that we're told is be baptized. Well, what are some reasons to be baptized? Well, first off, there are these two gifts. There's two things that you get in your baptism. It's kind of like Cracker Jack, candy-coated popcorn, peanuts, and a prize. All right, I'm, I'm dating myself. Two gifts. And the two gifts are this, forgiveness for every single one of your sins, and that makes sense. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be made white as wool. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Why? Because the second gift is the gift of the entrance of the Holy Spirit. Two things that you get at your baptism. And that makes sense, because where sin is, God can't live. So he basically says, you're going to invite me into your house? I'm going to clean it up. All of it. Forgiveness for your sins. There's this wonderful verse in Colossians 1.27 that says that Christ in you is the hope of glory, the hope of home, the hope of heaven, not us by ourselves, but him within us. It's a timeless promise. Peter goes on to say, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When we baptize our babies, we're basically taking God at his word. The promise of our baptism and our faith is also for who? For them. And also in infant dedication, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, God, we're, we're trusting that their future baptism, that their future coming to faith is, is for you. And in both, sen- in both sentences, in both practices, we're looking at the future and basically saying, God, we're trusting that you have placed these children in our family because they belong to your family in the future. And we're living our lives not only for ourselves, but for them as well. Well, there's four reasons. Let me give you four quick reasons to get wet. Why should I be baptized? Why me? Let me give you four reasons. First reason is very simple, because Jesus said so. He says this in Matthew chapter 28, all authority, how much? All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm in charge. Therefore, because I'm in charge, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to what? Obey, simply because he said so. Why am I going to get wet? Because you said so. I don't necessarily need to understand it all. I just know you told me to, so okay. To obey everything I've commanded you. A second reason, and Tom alluded to it in his prayer earlier, is our identification with Christ. There's this really interesting story of Jesus and John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. We hear this, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to stop him, tried to deter him. No way, Jesus. That's Frank Riley's addition there. 
What he actually said was, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And you're coming to me? See, here's what was happening just before that. If you read the text, you know this, that sinners, that people that were walking away from God were coming back to the Jordan River and were being baptized as a sign of their repentance, seeking God. That's what they were seeking. And so John was just baptizing them in the Jordan River, all of these sinners that were repenting. Does Jesus have anything to repent of? No. Does he need to turn around and follow God? No, that'd be really hard. He is God. He'd just be tracing his own tail. But he's got another reason for coming to the Jordan River. And here's what it is. His response is, let it be so now. Go ahead and baptize me. Why? Because it's proper. It's right. This is what I'm supposed to do. Because it's proper for me to do this. It's proper more than just for me, but for us, you, me, and everybody here. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. A lot of times you look at that word righteousness and you think it means doing right, it means going the right path, going the right way. But it's more than that. It's the idea of a relationship finally fulfilled and made whole. That's what righteousness is. Who cares if I do everything right, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but I'm not in love with Christ, right? It profits me nothing. It's all about a restored relationship. So John consented and Jesus was baptized. Here's what's going on. Sinners are coming to the Jordan River looking for God. And here's God who, according to Jesus, says, I came, why? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for who? For sinners. So here's what happens. He comes seeking us. And he hears that people are seeking him in the Jordan River. So God comes to the Jordan seeking who? Sinners. And as he enters the water, he's seeking us. And as we enter the water, we're seeking him, taking on his name as he takes on truly the role of being our Savior. It's our identification with Christ. It's also a sign that you belong to God's people. It's your initiation right into the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, you get this definition of the church. There's only one body. Do you know what body that is? the body of Christ. And there's only one spirit. Guess what spirit that is? The Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. What's the one hope? The one hope is this life isn't all there is, but there's a heaven. There's a place that's being prepared for you and for me. That's the hope that there's a life beyond this life. Just as you were called to one hope when you were, one, when you were called. There's one Lord. Who's that? Jesus. Not a trick question. And because of that, there's only one faith. What is it? Christianity, the following of Christ, because of who he is. And how many times do you need to be baptized? Once, because there's only one baptism. One God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and all in all. And basically what the writer of Ephesians is saying is we all hold these things in common. And it's the sign of your entrance into God's people. And I love this next one. Another reason to get baptized? It's your funeral. How many of you ever wondered what it would be like to be at your own funeral? This is your chance. You like that one, huh? Romans chapter 6 says this. Don't you know, hello people, hello, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. It's funeral language. 
If I ever baptize anybody, you'll catch me using these, this word, you know, as I, as I baptize you. I'll say, be buried with Christ. <laughs> da, da, da. No, <laughs> and, and raised to newness of life. You know, it, it would be like this. It would be like, all right, guys, you ready to give your lives to the Lord? Here's what we're going to do. And we roll in a casket. And then we put you in it. And then you lay down. And I'm there with a lid going, be buried with Christ. Are they going to let me out of here? And then finally, raised to newness of life. What's it about? It's a mark in, the, in life that basically said, before I belonged, or before I didn't belong, now I do. Before I was living another life, now I'm living a new one. Before I was full of sin and all wickedness and all the rest of it, and he took it away, and it's gone. It is buried right there at baptism, gone. And why is that important? Because at some point in time, somebody's going to tell you, you're not forgiven. You're still that old person. All of that is still with you. There's no way you belong to God. There's no way he cares about you. You've blown it. It's too far, too far, too gone. And at that point in time, you just go, liar, liar. I buried that over there, and you don't get to dig it up, because that's where it stays. Kind of, a cool, um, kind of a cool picture, right? And God paints it for us to say, this is how I want you to think about your past life. This is how I want you to think about your sins, and this is how I want you to think about my redemption of you. Well, we talked about kids a few moments ago. So what about children? Acts chapter 2 basically says this, that the promises of baptism are for what? Are for you, us, and also who? Our children. And so when we bring our children forward in either tradition, and both are ancient, in either tradition, what we're saying is, Lord, we're taking you, we're taking you at your word. Well, let's begin with this. What is infant dedication? When, I bring our, when we bring our babies forward to dedicate them, what is that? Well, dedication is a presentation of our children to Christ. Where's that in the Bible? Luke 2.22. When the time of their purification, that's Mary and Jesus, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So there it is. But it's more than a simple presentation. A lot of times, maybe in your life, um, there's things that just other pastors will say, and it, they just, it just drives me nuts. You know, and I've said, hey, the Covenant Church is a church that's going to drive Presbyterians and Baptists nuts. Just so you know, there's things that pastors say that drive each other crazy, and this one just drives me crazy. Pastors sometimes will say, it's really parent dedication. <laughs> Where's that? It's not there. Because the text is saying it's even more than that. Here's what the text says it actually is. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to what? To the Lord. Not the parents. Hopefully, they're already consecrated to the Lord, right? But rather, the child. And basically, what they're saying is this child is yours. On loan from God to us. Help us, Jesus, to do well by this little one who we give now to you. By the way, the text says every firstborn what? Male. But the fact is, is that while the law is laid down that this is the minimum, no believer has ever been withheld by giving more. 
And one of the things that we understand intrinsically is, Lord, we want all of our children to belong to you because you fashioned, you created, you made them. And so we bring our firstborn and our secondborn and our thirdborn, and we bring our sons and our daughters, all. And he is delighted to greet them. Infant baptism, what about that? Well, here's what it is. The ancient church from the very beginning understood infant baptism as a betrothal of our children to Christ. And it was always set, and in Orthodox churches still, it's, it's bridal language. It was always set in the language of a bride. By the way, you know, with regard to all these roses that have been before us, you know, here's this rose right here, and it's all, you know, it's all wilted, you know, and some of us have been saying, well, what about all those people that have come to faith, and uh, what are you doing for them? And my answer is, I don't know them, because I was too new, right? But God does. And so a first step for all of us that are coming to faith might be to do something about our baptism. We'll talk about that. But the other thing, too, is as we come forward, you notice the petals were all strewn. I'm making a mess for Brian out here. Um, but really what it is is to remind us that there's this sense that our baptism is two things. It's the beginning of our life with Christ that looks at this great moment, but it is also looking forward to the moment when we're finally at home in heaven and where we are the what? The bride of Christ. By the way, the church is the bride of Christ, and that makes him the groom. And women, you get that? Men, that's us too. I'm going to be a bride. We are, <laughs> we are all a bride together. And here's the picture of your first day in heaven. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder and shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? For the wedding supper of the Lamb finally, finally, finally has come, and his bride, us, has made herself ready. And how is she ready? Fine linen was given her to wear. Fine linen, bright and clean. And it stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, here's the truth. Our righteousness by itself is only, the Bible tells us, filthy rags. And in the very end of time, when we're there for the wedding supper of the Lamb, we're given a brand new, a brand new garment to wear. And thanks be to God, I get it when I get home, because I would just sully it here, right? And so the early church understood this. If we're betrothing our children to these little guys and girls, getting them ready as parents, you know, for the day that they'll say yes, why in the world, if we really believe that Jesus is the great bridegroom, wouldn't we betroth our own children to him? You know, I've got my little girl. She's just this little baby, and I'm going to go find some snot-nosed little two-year-old to betroth her to. Why in the world, if I really believe that, wouldn't I also take care of it for my child? And that's exactly what the early church was doing. And a lot of times you'll see old pictures probably back in your family of your great-great-grandfather wearing a dress. What's that little baby boy wearing a dress for? Christening gown. It's, it's a precursor to the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And the garments that are white and clean are given us. Why? because they look forward to the day when all of our sins are gone and we can never sin again and we are fully redeemed and are there on that day where we're finally able to say, hallelujah, I'm home, I'm home. By the way, in confirmation, what is it that you're confirming? You are confirming your infant baptism. Okay, that's confirmation. So, if you were, 
If you were baptized as a baby and you've come to faith in those traditions, your next step is to what? Be confirmed. What my parents did was right and good. I was too small to understand it. Sometimes with me as I'm confirming somebody, I'm saying, okay, you were baptized as a baby. Do you remember it? No. Well, you're going to remember now. I confirm you this day in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be buried with Christ, raised to newness of life. God bless you all. Welcome to the family. Okay? Be confirmed. Now, if you were never baptized as, uh, as a baby, as an infant, do you need to be confirmed? No. You have nothing to confirm. You need to be what? Baptized. Okay? Now, by the way, this is the place where we're going to drive Presbyterians and Baptist nuts. Because we leave this question up to the individual faith and conscience of each believer. If you're at that point in your life that says, okay, I was baptized as an infant, but now I want to be baptized as a believer, is that okay? Uh-huh. Sure is. Parents might say, but that's making a mockery of your infant baptism. No, it's not. You baptized, betrothed your child to the, to the Lord Jesus, hoping that he or she would fall in love with who? Christ. And finally, it's happened. Hooray, hooray. You're, the promise came true. By the way, in our congregation, if you were baptized as an infant, you go, hey, that was my baptism. I want to confirm it. Is that okay? Sure is. We'll take that. And by the way, if you've never been baptized before and you want to be baptized, will we take that? Uh, yeah. Because how many of us are supposed to be baptized? All. All means all, and that's all all means. Okay? Every single one of us. By the way, there's this there's this, always this talk to plunge or not to plunge, to dunk or not to dunk. One of the things for you to know is this. The word baptize literally means to plunge. It literally means to, um, to fully submerge, to throw somebody under the water. Okay? Some of us are thinking, but I got sprinkled. What's the story with that? Well, two things. One, there are some, um, there, there have been some places like up here in the Northeast where things were too frigid. To baptize you like that in the middle of the winter might have meant your death. There were desert regions where maybe I don't have that water. There are places like, okay, grandma's getting, getting dying. She's on her deathbed and she's come to faith in Christ and she wants to be baptized. All right, let's just hasten your death, grandma. <laughs> There's some practicality to it. But not to make it light, because we want to be followers of the Lord, and we want to be followers of his word, right? So let me give you a where is it written. 1 Peter 3.21 says that the water, the water is only a what? It's only a symbol. Here's the text. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body. You can go take a bath somewhere else, okay? But the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you, not by what you do, but by the resurrection of Christ, what he has done for you. And so for us at Trinity, we have said, you know, these things that shouldn't divide us in heaven are not going to divide us here. And we leave this question up to the faith and conscience of each individual believer. By the way, at no point in time have I told you, you know, you haven't heard what I, you know, well, Frank, what did you do with your kids? Have I told you? Did I tell you what I did with my own life? Nope. Gosh, were you baptized? Were you dedicated? Were you confirmed? Were you all of the above? What did you do with your babies? You got two of them. Did you baptize them or did you dedicate them? What, what, what? Tell us. Not going to tell you. Because here's the bottom line. It's not my way. It's his way in your life. 
And so uh, I look at it and I go, a good covenant pastor will be able to lay both these out equally and say, now, brothers and sisters, as the Lord leads you, follow. And we're not going to divide the church over this. I know. Not everybody could live that way, but we do, and it's a lot of fun. (laughs) And there will be a lot of Baptists in heaven that go, oh, you're here? (laughs) (laughs) And there will be a lot of Presbyterians in heaven that look over and say, and you're here? And then there will be all those covenanters that go, of course. (laughs) We're Trinitarians. In your uh, bulletin this morning is a yellow card. And uh, it gives you the opportunity, if you've been wondering, hey, I'd like to have my child baptized, or I'd like to have my child dedicated. It gives you the opportunity to say, you know what, I would like to confirm my baptism, or I would like to get baptized. It gives you the opportunity this morning to make that known to us, and we'll get back to you um, in terms of setting a date or whatnot for that wonderful celebration time. And you can just fill that out and place that in the offering plate as it comes this morning. Has this been okay? I love being part of a covenant church, man. You have no idea how wonderful this is. And maybe you do, because not everybody could get away with this. (laughs) But you know what? It's just, I think, who God calls the whole church to be. And when I came into the covenant, I was longing for a congregation where those things that are majors I could major on and where the body of Christ could really be together. The most important thing about baptism is this one thing, one thing, Do you love the Lord Jesus? And if you do, whether it's infant or dedication or sprinkling or total submersion or three times backwards and forwards in the name of the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to do, as long as you love the Lord, you're welcome here and your baptism's good. And if you don't love the Lord, then all you got was wet. And who wants to be all wet? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for this time, for this hour, for your goodness to us. And even now, as we prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings and the ushers come, we would ask God truly that you would bless both the gift and the giver. Bless these gifts, gifts that we've worked hard for this week. Use them for your glory and honor. And at the same time, Lord, for any of us that may be putting forward one of these baptism response cards into the offering plate, bless us and lead us as, uh, as you speak to our hearts. We love you and we thank you for this time right now. Amen.